0: is September 26th. It is uh, 2012. It is also uh, the 10th of Tishri on the Hebrew calendar. So uh, the nation of Israel just finished Yom Kippur, the Day of Atonement. Our message tonight has a weird title. Uh, It's intentional. It's called Seven Beers and Salvation. Uh, Yeah, it's good. We got a little chuckle out of that. I, I mean for people to have to think about what a pastor could possibly mean by that. Sometimes certain things are not easily paired or connected in the mind of Christians. Beer and salvation is a silly example, but it is an example of two things that Christians would not necessarily connect. Another example might be an Arab and a Jew. Another might be a Christian and a Muslim, or even Isaac and Ishmael. Tonight we'll tackle some similar topics that most people do not easily put together. And while the title is meant to be humorous, it is not without meaning, albeit a linguistically parsed meaning. Tonight, it would be a good idea for us to take note of a couple things. We just completed Yom Kippur. Uh, I want to say it's my unqualified hope. I mean, I am unashamed about it, Uh, not shy in every possible way, I have the hope that every single Israelite will be saved. Romans eleven twenty six 26 teaches that this was Paul's hope. The book of Zechariah names it, and all of the Bible is about God keeping a covenant to His people. My hope is to see every single Israelite saved. Secondly, I normally teach extensively on the subject of Yom Kippur, but given that there are three messages in the last two years that do that, the first one being Take Away, the next one being Islam and Yom Kippur, uh, the most recent one called Goat and All of the Above. These all, all these messages are online, I'm not going to retread that ground tonight. I would encourage you if you don't know what Yom Kippur is, if you don't uh, know that it's the sixth feast that occurs in the seventh month and that it is the day when Israel is atoned for in a single day, please get those messages, it's something that is central to the Bible, I would like uh, to tell you that Sunday evening begins another feast. It's called Sukkot, and Sukkot comes to us in English as tabernacles. So Sunday morning, I will probably deal with that feast and deal with what leads up to it at that time, uh, covering passages like John 7 and John 8. And of course, uh, uh, we cannot do that without moving through the Old Testament. But tonight, I want to first turn to Romans 12. I'm sorry, not Romans 12, Isaiah 12. I read this before worship and some of you had not made it into the building yet. And I want to read it again for you. It says, in that day you will say, I will praise you, O Lord. And what an amazing day that will be. Although you were angry with me, your anger has turned away. Come on, can I get an amen for somebody that was once under the anger of the Lord, but his anger has been turned away? Amen. Man, what a good feeling. That sounds like salvation. Surely God is my salvation. I will trust and not be afraid. The Lord, the Lord is my strength and my song. He has become my salvation. With joy, you will draw water from the wells of salvation. The Lord God spoke about salvation as it relates to water. He spoke about it because water is a life-giving substance, and every year Israel poured water out of a golden vessel into 12 earthen vessels, and they sang Isaiah 12. They were looking forward to the day when God's salvation, God's spirit, God's power would be poured out, and it would be like the water of salvation. Jesus called it the living water. In that day you will say, give thanks to the Lord, call on his name, make known among the nations what he has done, and proclaim that his name is exalted. Sing to Yahweh, for he has done glorious things. Let let this be known to all the world. Come on, say that. Let this be known to all the world. This is the heart of the Hebrew Bible. It has not always been the heart of the Hebrew people any more than it's always been the heart of the Christian people. But God has always desired salvation in every nation. This begins by blessing one people group, filling them with power, filling them with love so that they have something of worth to carry to others. I want to point to a scripture in Romans 11. I should have done it while we were there earlier, but better late than never. This is Romans 11, starting in verse 13. I am talking to you Gentiles. Come on, you Gentiles. That's us. I am talking to you Gentiles in as much as I am the apostle to the Gentiles. This is a word that means the one sent to the Gentiles. Praise God somebody was sent to the Gentiles. Where would we be if the apostle Paul had not gone on his missionary journeys? We would be in the same place. Most of the tribes, tongues, and nations in the 1040 window are at. We would be waiting for somebody to come tell us so that we could hear. And in hearing, we could put our trust. And in trusting, we could be saved. But if nobody came and told us, we would be in a bad place, wouldn't we? Come on now. I am talking to you Gentiles inasmuch as I am the apostle to the Gentiles. I make much of my ministry in the hope that I may somehow arouse my own People to envy and save some of them. For if their rejection is the reconcili, if their rejection is the reconciliation of the world, what will their acceptance be? Except life from the dead. Paul saw a relationship between his going out to the nations and God bringing salvation to his nation. Look at how this works. We would normally think that we would take care of our own first. We would normally think we would protect our home base first. And if we do that, then we'll be taken care of. God says, no, if you go care about them, I will take care of yours. Are you hearing that? So So the apostle here says, I'm making as much of my ministry out there as I can. And my hope is that my own people here will somehow be aroused by it. In the first century, the way that this world was divided was into Greeks and non-Greeks. Alexander the Great conquered most of the world in the year 300 B.C. In the first century A.D., this called Jews to say something. There were Jews and there were non-Jews. Every single non-Jew was called a Gentile. There was no exception. And a Gentile might be able to become a Jew, but it was a difficult process that involved the cutting of, of male flesh. It involved a series of steps at different times. The whole world was either Jewish or non-Jewish. Now, the Apostle Paul never met uh, a Muslim. It never happened. It couldn't happen because Muhammad did not come around until the 600s A.D. But if Paul could have crossed paths with a Muslim, in his mind, this would be the furthest thing on the earth from a Jew. In a Muslim's mind, there is nothing that is more abhorrent than Israel and being a Jew. Now, this may not be acknowledged in popular media, but all you have to do is look around you in the world and you can see it. So we might say the most Gentile of all Gentiles would be the Muslim living in an Islamic country. In many cases, like Palestinian children within the nation of Israel, they are not even taught that Israel exists on a map. They are, they are taught that they have no place in the world and the Holocaust didn't happen. I'm not saying this to arouse a pro-Israeli feelings tonight. I'm saying it for another reason. This is the last person on earth that you would expect to fall in love with a Jewish Messiah. My goodness, but what happens if they do? Don't you think Israel would take notice of that? Don't you think Paul could say, I make much of my ministry among the Islamists in the hope that some of my own people would be aroused to envy. This might be like life from the dead, friends. When we read this, we read us as the Gentile, and we can't help it because we're Americans, and our country's in the center of the map, and we're sure we're in the center of God's heart. And so when we read it, it has to speak about us. But what if it's speaking about something else? How many of you know about the boys Isaac and Ishmael? One who is favored by God. One who the covenants come down through a patriarch of Israel. And what do you know about the other one? The son of a slave woman. Right? Well, that's great unless you're the son of the slave woman. We act as if God doesn't care about all of mankind. And He has always cared about all of mankind. Turn with me to Genesis 21. There Wow. Oh, my goodness. Is he telling the truth? Somebody check. We trust, but we verify. I learned that from a great president. From the pulpit, we don't tell you who to vote for, but I can always tell you I admire and run all this Magnus is at the top of the list. Genesis 21, starting in, no, we don't have to read it because you'll know this. 21, 1 through 6, tell us something. What does the title say? The birth of? Isaac. The birth of Isaac. The promise of God was that a man who was well beyond children years, a woman who was well beyond children years, would supernaturally have a son. Genesis 21: 1 through6 is about the arrival of the promised son, the covenant son. Genesis 21, starting in verse 8, this is about the other son. Does anybody remember Creedence Clearwater Revival? The senator's son? Probably only Steve in the room would know what I'm talking about. The senator's son was the only one who didn't have to go to war, right? Right. So if you weren't the senator's son, uh, you were out of luck, right? Yeah, it ain't me. Come on, we got a young man that knows this. I probably shouldn't talk about secular music from the pulpit. I'm sorry, it's the house I grew up in. (laughs) See, my mom's not here tonight. The child grew and was weaned. And on the day Isaac was weaned, Abraham held a great feast. But Sarah saw that the son whom Hagar, the Egyptian, had born to him was mocking. And she said to Abraham, Get rid of that slave woman and her son, for that slave woman's son will never share in the inheritance with my son Isaac. The matter distressed Abraham greatly because it concerned his son. Which son? Ishmael. Ishmael. It distressed Abraham greatly Because it concerned his son. God and God's people care about all human beings. Not human beings who agree with them. Not human beings who are born in their country. Not human beings who are favored. They care about all human beings. But God said to him, Do not be so distressed about the boy and your maidservant. You ladies skip these next three or four words. (laughs) Listen to whatever Sarah tells you. If I, were, if I were going to get a scriptural tattoo and I was a wife, that would be the one. Yeah. Listen to whatever Sarah tells you. But I, I'm not a big fan of those things. Just, uh, I, if you have them been there pretty, I'm not talking about your tattoos. I'm just saying, generally, I won't mark my body like that. Listen to whatever Sarah tells you because it is through Isaac that your offspring will be reckoned. I will make the son of the maidservant into a nation also because he is your offspring. Early the next morning, Abraham took some food and a skin of water and gave them to Hagar. He set them on her shoulders and then sent her off with the boy. She went on her way and wandered in the desert of Beersheba. She what? Wandered in the desert. Where were you when God found you? Where was Israel when God spoke to them and gave him them his word? The desert is a great place to be saved, friends. The dry places, the difficult places are the first time we realize we have a need. The lie that is being pushed by peddlers of this prosperity trash, these fissures of funds, is that everyone will see through your great provision that God has given you that they have a need for God. No, it would teach them to love money. It is devilish. It is demonic. And it has no place in the church of God. None. It appeals to the flesh greed, The fact that it is so commonplace is the saddest commentary on 21st century Christianity that there could possibly be. And I want to tell you it never existed in the church at any time until the last 20 years. That's, That's the first time this has ever popped up that Christians would be so silly as to look for gold dust and angel feathers and put their focus on the giver's gifts rather than the giver of the gifts. This is silliness. And I pray that the church repents and gets focused on what God is focused on. Yes. People who are in the desert. This is where his heart is. What, what is the name of the desert where, where she is? Beersheba. Beersheba. We're going to skip down to verse 22. I will come back to Ishmael, but I will not come back to Ishmael for some time. If you were taking notes, this would begin to look like a circle. We're about to walk the other way, but I promise we will come back. Let us then look at Genesis 21, verse 22. At that time, Abimelech and Phicol, the commander of his forces, said to Abraham, God is with you in everything you do. Oh my goodness that the world would notice God is with us. Not notice that Abraham had a big checkbook. Not notice that Abraham drove the nicest Escalade and had a license plate that said the apostle. But notice that God was with him. This is what we want the world to take note of. This is what the religious establishment saw in Peter and John. They said these are unlearned, untrained men. But they took note. They had been with Jesus. This is all I have ever wanted in recognition in my life. God is with this man, and I pray that it is your ambition as well. At that time, they noticed God is with you in everything you do. Now swear to me here before God that you will not deal falsely with me or my children or my descendants. Why why might Abimelech have thought Abraham would deal falsely with him? He had. It's good news to know that Abraham was not perfect. He was never perfect. Neither are his descendants. You do not have to be perfect to be in a covenant with a perfect God. It is his righteousness that gets credited to us. It is not our righteousness that gets commingled with his. Abraham had lied and said, she's my sister. And this almost cost Abimelech some real problems, right? The Bible seems to say that God had shut down the entire ability to reproduce in his palace. Yeah? Could that make you go, look, Abraham, I can see God's with you. After all, he had you pray for me and I got healed. Uh, But look, don't lie to me anymore. (laughs) I mean, would it get your attention? Come on, anybody in here want to get married someday? Would it get your attention? If if somebody lied to you and it shut down your whole reproductive process? Yeah. Yeah. I, if that didn't get your attention, friends, I don't know how to wake you up tonight. <laughs> you're dead. You're, you're dead. We, we, we give up. We go home. Come on. Did I get your attention, church? Yes. Now, swear to me here before God that you will not deal falsely with me or my children or my descendants. Show to me and the country where you are living as an alien the same kindness I have shown you. Well, that's a little bit of political gamesmanship. But in any case, Abraham said, I swear it. Then Abraham complained to Abimelech about a well of water that Abimelech's servants had seized. But Abimelech said, I don't know who's done this. You did not tell me and I heard about it only today. So Abraham brought sheep and cattle and gave them to Abimelech. And the two men made a treaty. Sheep and cattle were a part of any normal peace treaty. When uh, two rival monarchs, when two people groups wanted to make a covenant with each other, they would usually bring something of value like sheep, like cattle. You would cut those two things into pieces. So like the animal in my house that I value the most is a a wiener dog. He's, uh, He's about 10 pounds. Okay, I'm telling the truth, he's about 12 pounds. He's a little bit overweight. They say dogs and their owners have this relationship, right? He, he's about a dog and a half long and about half a dog high. That's, that's. And uh, I named him Winston, right? Because I'm a big fan of Winston Churchill and I thought that was a masculine name. And my kids renamed him Weenie based on his behavior. So <laughs> what we would have to do, let's just suppose that, ah, maybe Jacob and I, and I Jacob's a biblical name. Let's pick a non-biblical name. In Charlie. Charlie and I. Charlie's a great American name but not a biblical name. Charlie and I have a problem. Uh, I've built my fence on the wrong side of his property. <laughs> and we're in ancient Israel. See, Charlie and I were working on fence lines today, and I got a post a little bit off of the line. Uh, it's a true story, but that's we did not do this to any. Well, well <laughs> what we would do is I would come and say, Charlie, I have a problem. Uh, post is on the wrong side. He would say, well, that's unacceptable. We're going to pull it up and move it, but let you and I make a covenant that we won't move each other's boundary stones anymore. I'd say, okay. I'd bring forth Weenie. He'd bring forth Bella.
1: <laughs> Bella is a little bitty, uh, uh, what is that dog? A uh, Chihuahua,
0: right? She's about this big. We would cut them in two. I won't tell you which direction. No. We would, we would cut them in two. We would lay those pieces on the ground. Charlie and I would shake hands and we'd walk between the pieces. Something precious would die, right? This would be a blood covenant. And the unstated message that all men everywhere understood is if I break the covenant or you break the covenant, what was just done to them, God will do to us. They made a covenant with each other. It says that. Abraham and Abimelech made a covenant. The word for this in Hebrew has more to do with cutting a covenant than making a covenant. And the word cutting signifies what happened, right? That's a gruesome thought, isn't it? But all treaties were made this way. You know where there had never been a treaty made? Not anywhere in the Bible is there a treaty like the next part of this. Look at verse 27 to recap. So Abraham brought sheep, cattle, and gave them to uh, Abimelech. And the two men made a treaty. That's a treaty like any other treaty you would ever see. Verse 28. Abraham set apart seven new lambs from the flock. And Abimelech asked Abraham, What is the meaning of the seven new lambs you have set apart by themselves? There's a deviation from the normal covenant. There is something that is different than in the normal covenant. What an interesting thing. What could this mean? Well, they made a normal peace treaty, but then they made a special treaty. Nowhere before this in the Bible are seven new lambs used, and nowhere after this in the Bible are seven ewe lambs used? Now, some of you are Bible scholars, and I appreciate having the church full of Bible scholars. It makes, makes life fun. Uh, if, if you think that I miss Steph, I get to hear about it. And, uh, and I enjoy that. I don't want a biblically ignorant crowd. Lots of times, seven lambs were sacrificed. They were always male. Never were they seven ewe lambs. It's the only time. It's the most unique sacrifice in all of the Bible. Seven. What does seven usually represent? perfection, completion. We have a unique covenant, a new covenant that there's never been before. What's what's unique about a ewe lamb? What makes a ewe lamb different than uh, a he lamb? <laughs> uh, or Ezekiel lamb or some other lamb, right? <laughs> a ewe lamb is different because it's a female. And it's not just a female. It's a female lamb usually that is less than a year old. Now, why would you bring a female lamb less than a year old? Now, if you, if you brought a male, the male will never produce for you through its own body, anyway, other sheep. He, uh, he can be uh, used as a stud service. There's a lot of things that he could be. But these females carry in them from birth, just like females of almost every uh, species, the ability inside of them to bring lots more lambs, right? My little Abby already has in her body the genetic material for all the sons and daughters she'll ever have. She already has that in her body. That's an amazing thing, huh? So we're not just sacrificing seven lambs. We're making a sacrifice that really is a sacrifice for all future generations from them. yeah? A special, unique sacrifice. By the way, if you're in the the lamb kebab business, Mm -hmm. this is pretty costly too, isn't it? It's costly because you're not just sacrificing a single when you sacrifice this young female. You're sacrificing all that you ever would have gotten from her, from her offspring or her offspring's offspring, as many generations as you would go. It's almost like an everlasting kind of sacrifice, is it not? A special, perfect, costly tree. And what was it about? It was about a well. About water. Abram set apart seven ewe lambs from the flock. And Abimelech asked Abraham, What is the meaning of these seven ewe lambs you have set apart by themselves? This was curious enough. This was awkward enough. This was different enough that the man asked. He replied, Accept these seven lambs from my hands as a witness that I dug this well. Sounds a little bit like what would normally happen to lambs. They would normally be killed. In this case, maybe they were left alive. What an interesting, perfect, unique sacrifice where something would normally be found dead and yet lives as a testimony that there is a well. What is well? A source of life. He replied, Accept these seven lambs from my hand as a witness that I dug this well. Now let's talk about digging a well for a minute. I, I have crawled down into water wells in Romania. I've attempted to dig them in different places, never with much success. You can dig a well, yes, but you can't put the water there, can you? Mm. Who put the water there? God. God. So it may be that you can make the way to the water more accessible. Or, of course, you could make it more inaccessible. But only God put the water in that well. And to the ancient man, this was a little bit... Mystical, was it not? I mean, people were paid to divine where wells were. They were paid to do all kinds of things. Even today, you go out to drill a well, there's no guarantee that you will hit water. And yet, your life depends on whether or not you can have water. How long can somebody fast? Uh, is it possible to fast seven days? Yes. Is it possible to fast two weeks? Yes. Three weeks? Yes. Four weeks? Could you fast 40 days? Yes. Well, it's been done. Jesus did it. Moses did it on a mountain. Elijah did it. It's been done. There are stories of people in India fasting longer than that. And if you read Brother Yoon's book, The Heavenly Man, even longer than that. But you know what people do not live without more than just a few days? Water. So in the Bible, water has to do with the source of life. There are only three things that are usually associated with water in what is called hermeneutics. That would be a system of interpretation from beginning to end that applies a little bit of logic and reason. If we find it here this way one time, and here this way another time, and here this way a third time, when we get to the fourth time, it it might be the same as the other three. Water shows up as salvation. It shows up as life, and it shows up as a man and woman's intimate life. Those three things, because you know what? Salvation, intimacy between human beings, and physical life are all associated with something so as important as water. They're essential to life. So Abraham wants to secure this, this well. He replied, "Accept these seven lambs from my hand as a witness that I dug this well. So that place was called Beer Beersheba because the two men swore an oath. Now, beer uh, means something different in Hebrew than it does in English. (laughs) Beer uh, means well, right? Now, we can argue about the merits or uh, unmerits of an American beer. You cannot argue about the merits of a Hebrew beer. A Hebrew beer is a well. Sheba, of course, means seven, hence the title Seven Beers and Salvation. After the treaty had been made at Beersheba, Abimelech and Phicol, the commander of his forces, returned to the land of the Philistines. Abraham planted a tamarisk tree. Do I have any horticulturists in the room today? I got any amateur uh, garden experts in here? Who, Who holds up their thumb and it's green, right? Does anybody have a tamarisk tree in their yard? Yeah, probably tamarisk tree is not something you're familiar with. But before Animal Planet, before History Channel, before uh, the Google service, right? Well, What you had to look at in the world when it got dark were stars in the sky. What you got to look at in the light were all the beautiful things that God created. And in countries where we do not have electricity in every home, we don't have the distractions that come with electronic entertainment and advertisement, people are interested in things. They ask questions like, what kind of bird is that? I've never seen one. They know, if you ask Raja Israel, some of you have met Raja Israel, about any species of plant in India, and friends, there's as many as there are in Africa, he knows what it is. He, he can name thousands of birds and spot them at a distance. So can a son Adam. You know, and to me, it's just one more bird, right? <laughs> he can tell no, 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 this one has, has a, a different foot. Look at it. This one flies differently. This one's eyes are different. I'm like, good Lord, you cannot see that. How would you not? Because he spent most of his life admiring the creation and he didn't have that little golden idol in his house that glowed and shimmered that stole all of a man's thoughts and attention. Abraham could have picked any tree. This is one of the few times in the Bible that you see a tamarisk tree and you go, why on earth did he pick a tamarisk tree? It seems that a tamarisk is an evergreen tree, an evergreen tree that will grow in this region. Why would he park an evergreen tree right next to a well? It's the closest thing you could have in the ancient world to a giant flashing sign that says, this is a marker. But what if it's wintertime? How would you tell it apart? It's evergreen. What if it's summer and it's burning? It's evergreen. He wanted a marker for the well that would symbolize salvation for every generation from that Point forward so he gave up something that was perfectly costly he did something new that had never been done before there was a sacrifice that he let go seven of his perfect little ewe lambs and he marks this spot for all generations all seasons that says there is life-giving water here are you beginning to see a message they named this something. They name it Beersheba, which can be translated as well of seven or because seven is so uh, tied up in the covenant. Some people have translated it well of the covenant. After the treaty had been made at Beersheba, Abimelech and Phicol, the commander of the forces, returned to the land of the Philistines. Abraham planted a tamarisk tree in Beersheba and there he called upon the name of when you see capital L, capital O, capital R, capital D, this is the covenant name of God. It is Y-H-W-H, usually pronounced Yahweh. But that's not all called Him. By the way, one way to translate Yahweh is the self-existent God. The God who I am who I am. I exist all by myself. In English, those four letters are called the Tetragrammaton. if you're just bored and need something new to write. He says, Yahweh, the... Eternal God. He put an evergreen tree next to the El Olam. The eternal God can also be translated the God of the universe. Or maybe a better way yet, the God of the world to come. An evergreen tree next to a perfect sacrifice, next to salvation, marked for the God of the world to come. Come on, when we speak of not this world, but the world to come, what are we talking about? We're talking about the world as God will remake it. We are talking about the perfect world, the messianic age, the millennial (coughs) reign, the perfected new heavens and new earth with a perfected people where there are not the kind of differences that there are today like Jew and Muslim. Where there are not the kind of problems like there were in this day. One man lies to another and there's consequences. Where there are not the kind of problems where wolves and sheep are eating each other. Isaiah actually speaks of it as a day when enemies have become friends and when weapons have been beat into plowshares. Oh my God, wouldn't you like to live in a world like that? This is the hope of Christianity, that you'll be raised in a body that never dies, that your own feet will walk upon the earth, and that world will be your world because you accepted that kingdom now. That is the hope of the ages. It's the hope that Israel had. It's the hope of the 12 tribes, according to Paul. It is the hope of the Feast of Tabernacles, which we will speak about in our next service. And it is the hope of the apostles. They testified to the resurrection of the dead and the man, Jesus, over and over and over. And our churches only talk about it on Easter Sunday. Turn with me to Genesis 26. Wells were important friend. In Jeremiah 2, by the way, I know I told you to go to Genesis 26. I just would like to quote a couple scriptures for you in a roundabout way. These would be good note scriptures on a well. In Jeremiah 2, 13 through 14, God rebukes his people. He says, you have forsaken me, the spring of living water. You have dug your own cisterns and they can't hold water. He related himself to a well. And he said, you know what? You don't want the real thing. You're digging broken cisterns. They'll never hold what I am. You're broken religious systems. But they don't contain me, my life-giving power, my awesome divinity. And he said, this is two sins. You've rejected me and then you've built your substitute. I wonder what he would say to the church today. Then when we move to John 4, we see Jesus speaking to a Samaritan woman. And he said, hey, hey. If you knew who I was, you would ask me for the living water and it would become in you a spring welling up to eternal life. How important was a well? My goodness, if you read the writings of Zechariah, if you are looking in the 13th chapter, we see that God opened a well, a spring for Israel and cleansed them. But maybe the most famous passage would be Revelation 21, verse 6. Worth writing down. He said, come to me and I will give you drink without cost from the well of salvation. Abraham was the first among the men who marked the way to salvation. It would always be faith in Yahweh God. It would transcend seasons. There are no dispensations where faith has been nullified. There are no dispensations when it was not faith. In fact, I entirely reject the idea Of dispensations, if we just want to be honest, I think they were the inventions of a new Christian who is overly zealous because he had a legal background and a systematic mind. But I'll leave that alone for you. I would just like to say, God has always wanted the nations to drink from the well of salvation. And so the friend of God, Abraham, marked a well. Where was the well? In Israel. In the fourth chapter of John, Jesus said, You Samaritans worship what you do not know. Salvation is from the Jews. The well of salvation is found in Israel. It's found in the man named Jesus. You know what the southernmost border of Israel is? It's Beersheba, where the well of salvation was marked. Do you know what the northernmost border of Israel is? It's Hermon. Not everybody agrees, but I think that's where the Mount of Transfiguration occurred." What an amazing thing! The southern border of Israel would be the well of salvation. The northern border would be when you got to see who Jesus is. It is almost like, from beginning to end, God wanted to reveal Jesus to Israel. Why does God bless one man that he might bless the nations through him? Are you in Genesis twenty-six? Yeah. Yes. Look. I realize that I do something other pastors don't do. I just gave you like 15 verses. Some I quoted directly, some I quoted indirectly. That's what notes are for. This is what your special study time is for. Go check, see if I'm telling the truth. Come back if I got it wrong. It'll give us something to talk about besides football, which I've never been interested in anyway as a Christian. See I am not here to give you everything that you could ever get. I'm here to spark your interest. I'm here to whet your appetite. I'm here with one resounding message that says, There is more, and it's your job to seek it. Because if you seek it, you will find it. Our God will never let you down, but it is only those who hunger and thirst for righteousness that get filled. Come on now, Genesis 26. In verse 1, we have this phrase. Now there was a famine in the land, besides the earlier famine of Abraham's time. It's almost as if we're relating this time with Abraham's time, huh? Guess what? Genesis 21 verse 6 says it's the same land, it's the land of Gerar. Gerar, G-E-R-A-R, we're relating to an earlier time when Abraham was there, we're in a place where Abraham was, Gerar became known as Beersheba, what was this place called when Columbus found it, I don't know but it wasn't called America, but we say Columbus discovered America. America. So when the Bible speaks about Beersheba, it's speaking about what it was called after Abraham did his thing. Before that it was called Gerar. The only way that we could possibly know that is he met with Abimelech and Abimelech was the king of Gerar. Okay, So now we are here. We have Isaac, the promised son, who is very much like the father, right? It's a famine. What happens in family? What's scarce in a family? Food and water. Come on now. Food and water. So Genesis 21, 6 places us in the same place. I'm sorry, 26, 6. And Genesis 26, 1 says there was a famine. Now let us go to Senate 26, 12. Isaac planted crops. Is a famine a good time to do that? Well, yeah. man. Isaac planted crops in the land. And that same year reaped a hundredfold because he was a great farmer. Because. The Lord blessed him. him. Do you mean to say that the Lord can keep someone alive in a famine, as the Psalms say? Do you mean to say that as Jeremiah said, you don't have to have any fear in a famine because the Lord can bless you? That your leaves will not wither? That your roots will go down to the streams of living water. Isaac planted crops in the land and that same year reaped a hundredfold because the Lord blessed him. The man became rich and his wealth continued to grow until he became very wealthy. He had so many flocks and herds and servants that the Philistines envied him. You mean they didn't want to get saved? They didn't fall down and say, what must I do to get saved? What did it cause? Envy. I'd like to tell you that we live in a time period where Jews are envied around the world. Now, envy has a lot of faces. Sometimes when we think of envy, we think uh, like you are flattered by This kind of envy causes them to be called names that uh, have taken on derogatory meanings. Zionist should mean a fan of Zion. But Zionist has come to mean in the language of many people evil, greedy bankers who are in control of the world. Uh, There's these myths about Zionist puppet masters, right? And it fuels the rage of the nations. I want to tell you it's envy. It's because despite famines, despite persecutions, despite any problem that has come their way, Jews have prospered. Why did Isaac prosper? Because God Was with him. Did he have trouble? Yes, but God was with him, so he prospered. Since they envied him, look at verse 15. So, all the wells that his father's servants had dug in the time of his father Abraham, the Philistines stopped up, filling them with earth. Why doesn't it just say they filled them with earth? It doesn't, it says they stopped them up. It wasn't enough to hide the location to the well. They wanted the well to stop doing what the well was doing, which is providing water. There is an enemy. And although the patriarchs, the faithful servants of God, and the men who gave you this book, like the Apostle Paul, like Matthew, men who were Jewish, were descendants of Isaac, the enemy has worked to stop up the well that they dug. they filled it with earth. They've obscured it with the things of the earth. And it is envy. They do not want Israel to be the fame of the nations because then the God of Israel would be the fame of the nations. We do not want what has happened to the world and the great Christian awakening and the blessing of the western nations to be associated with Israel so we've covered it with so much earth that nobody even knows that Jesus is actually Jewish. I stood in a restaurant the other day with a man that I love. And he says that he likes Jews, but hates Israel. And then we actually kind of morphed into a little bit of hating Jews as well. And I walked into his office and there was a picture of Jesus. And I said, just to be clear, you know Jesus was a Jew, right? Well, of course I know that. Isn't that kind of at odds with the things you have been saying? Well, it's different. How is it different? Now,
1: don't
0: get mad at the man. He was born in a town that has been Christian since the first century. He considers himself Christian because he was born in that town. Friends, the well of salvation was marked by a people group. The salvation was not created by them. They simply made it visible. The water was put there. By God. It was Him who put it there. It was never of them, it was from them. In other words, they paved the way for us to see it. Jewish apostles wrote this book. We owe Israel a debt for that reason, but I do not want you to get the idea that I'm speaking about only Israel, because that is not where this message is going. There is a balance in the scripture where God is concerned of all nations. I want to tell you tonight, do not let anything stop up your well of salvation. Do not let yourself become so covered with earth that salvation is not flowing out of your life. Have you ever sang the song, spring up, O well, down in my soul, spring up, O well, and make me whole? We sang it in a church where none of us knew what it was or ever did it. Come on makes the lame to walk and the blind to see and all of those beautiful things, but we didn't think God did any of it anymore. Our wells had been covered with so much earth that our song was a mere footnote to satisfy critics, maybe. But none of us expected it to happen. I'm telling you that the salvation that God has placed in your life is supposed to flow out of your life, whether it is winter or summer. It's supposed to flow out of your life, whether Phicol's standing in front of it, Abimelech standing in front of it, or a descendant of Abraham is standing in front of it. I am telling you that the well was marked for all seasons, all times, eternally, by the God of the world to come, who is making salvation available for all men. He wants all men to be saved. Not just rich ones, not just white ones, not just American ones, not just the fortunate ones, not just the senator's sons. He wants all men saved. Did He put something eternal in you? Amen. This is like planting a tamarisk tree that says life can be found here. Life can be found here. Does your life send a message that says life can be found here? Or does it say stay away? I would rather be a private person. Does your life say life can be found here? Come to me all who are thirsty? Or does it say associate with me only if you're healthy? Does your life say, life can be found here? Or does your life say, you know, I have me and mine, and you need to go get you and yours? See, the Christian life must be focused outward. God wants salvation for all. They stopped up the well. Now let's look at a couple verses more. I have to find the verse. Uh... Verse 15. So all the wells that his father's servants had dug in the time of the father Abraham, the Philistines stopped up, filling them with earth. Then Abimelech said to Isaac, Move away from us, you have become too powerful for us. That has been the story of the Jewish nation for the last couple thousand years, thrown out of this nation, thrown out of that nation, thrown out of every nation. So Isaac moved away from there and encamped in the valley of... Gerar, which is of course Beersheba, and settled there. Isaac, what's that next phrase? Reopened the wells that had been dug in the time of his father Abraham. Friends, we're in a season. Where wells need to be unearthed. The church needs its heart circumcised. We need to scrape away the carnality so that we can see the salvation that was planted within. That is where we're at. It needs to bubble up in our souls and overflow in our lives. It needs to come from a powerful prayer life, a rich study life, a a life of intimacy with God, not mere church attendance. It is time to reopen the wells. Because the nations have not tasted of the goodness that we... When you think of the power that we profess and our utter impotency and actually sharing the gospel around the world, it is disgusting. It's because our wells have been plugged. We suffer from a spiritual condition where life is not flowing out. We're more like the dead sea than the sea of life. Everything flowing in. Everything flowing in. Selfish as today is long. Nothing flowing out. Why did Paul make much of his ministry among the Gentiles? So that there could be life at home. Because the secret to the Christian life is when you care about them, God will care about you. Mm -hmm. That is the secret to the Christian life. When you take this back to Abraham in the 12th chapter of Genesis, he says, I will bless you and you will be a blessing to the nations. He didn't get that by sitting at home. He sent it by going where God said to go. It's not a message to tell you buy a plane ticket tomorrow. It's a message to tell you start to focus outwards. Let's unstop our well. Do people see salvation in you in the grocery store? Are they stopping and asking you, my son is atheist. What would you tell him? I need your help. My wife and I aren't getting along and I need your help. Would you sit down with me? Are people asking you about the hope you have? So, say, well, no, Eric. They don't know. Whose fault is that? Are we waiting for Jesus to tell them? Are we waiting for Bill Gates to get saved and use Microsoft's resources to put screensavers up for them all to save them? Because that's what screensavers do, right? (laughs) We act like it as much time as we devote to our computers. You know what? You've always been God's tamarisk tree. You've always been that evergreen thing in every season that would say, Here is water. This is where it can be found. Follow me. You have always been God's method of salvation. He could have said right outside the Garden of Eden, Here is a burning sign in the sky for all to see, for all nations. But He didn't. You are His image, you are His marketing campaign. He took you out of the earth and He breathed heaven into you. And your whole life is about escaping the dust of that earth and becoming the breath of heaven for all men. This is our goal. And instead, we sit around and debate about how much of God we want. We sit around and debate about whether we become fanatical. In our day, we actually argue things that are clearly written in the word. The Bible teaches us to pray in the Holy Spirit on all occasions, to build ourselves up in the most holy faith. Paul said, do not forbid the speaking in other tongues. And you know what? We've been so bold as to forbid it, to be embarrassed of it. Our largest charismatic churches even have moved it to the background and said, you know what? It's something that happens in a home meeting but not here because we want a bigger crowd and they'll be scared. We're God's tamarisk tree. It's supposed to be a sign not for believers but for unbelievers, the word says. It's supposed to say something supernatural over here. Over here it's supernatural. Come and look. Hmm. And it was not for a select few. It was for all. It was for all. It was for all. It was for all. You show me one person that prayed and didn't receive. Show me. It doesn't happen that way. Instead, you find over and over and over, they received just as we received. They received as we received, and today we want to debate it. We spend our time arguing about such important issues as fermentation or no fermentation in the communion. Such important issues as will he come back in the middle of the tribulation, at the end of the tribulation, or before it. What difference does it make? You're not working for him now. Oh, come on, church, that we could scrape the earth away from our wells so that people could see there is water here. Amen. Mighty God, Lord, we repent. We repent that we have been so ordinary and you are so extraordinary. Mighty God, we repent that we have not made known the well of salvation, but we've allowed it to be stopped up. Friends, I cannot read you the rest of the chapter. My heart cannot bear it. I do want to tell you that everywhere he opened a well, somebody came and put dirt in it. So he reopened another one, and another one, and another one, and he gave it the same name that his father Abraham had. He didn't change it to a more acceptable name. He didn't change it so that they wouldn't know that this original source was Jewish. He didn't do that. He gave it the same name. Where's the heart that says I want to unstop the well so that the nations can drink? I want to make clear the path of salvation. Did you know that the Proverbs teach that a man who is righteous and lives in an unrighteous way is like someone who has poured mud into a well? You can read Proverbs 4, 23 through 27, Proverbs 25, 6. We're supposed to guard our hearts above all else. Because it is a wellspring of life. And if the devil is able to pour earth into our hearts, it muddies the water for every other person to see. What is the number one complaint why people do not go to church? Church is full of... Now I'm going to tell you, i stopped accepting that. When a man tells me that, let's practice. Would you like to practice? Mm-hmm. No, then why don't you go to church? Eric, I don't go to church. Why don't you come and be a real one then? Show us how to do it. I put the burden on their back 100% of the time because this is where Jesus put the burden on their back. If everybody's a hypocrite, come be a real one. Come show us how to do it. Having said that, when God's people don't act like God, it confuses the message for the whole world. Come on now. I love the nation of Israel, but if we're honest... There can be no question that they have zigged when they should have zagged. A couple thousand years ago, they made a pretty terrible decision and they have been paying for it ever since. In no way should you think that God has rejected his people. He has not rejected his people. But how do we get their attention? How will Israel experience an awakening? Could we go back to Genesis 21, would that be okay? By the way, let's talk about a well for a minute. Isaac had a wife. What was his wife's name? Rebecca. Rebecca, He met her at a well. (laughs) Jacob had a wife he loved. We won't talk about the other one at the moment. He met Rachel at a well. You know where Moses met his wife? At a well. Zipporah he met at a well. It's almost as if Jesus will find the bride of Christ at A a well. This is the biblical type. This is the biblical type. If you go to Israel and you stand in a church today called the Church of the Annunciation, they say, we, we know this is the spot where Gabriel spoke to Mary. They say, how do you know? Because she wasn't at home. She must have been at a well. well. That was the only reason the first century women left the house, you know, to go get some water. Mm-hmm. And it was not an easy job. So they say that's where the angels spoke to Mary about Jesus. I don't know if they're right mm-hmm. or not, but it's interesting that all of these righteous women were found at the yeah. well. Hmm. Genesis 21 Pick up with me in verse 15 I think that's where we left off earlier Why don't we pick up in 14 Early the next morning Abraham took some food And a skin of water and gave them to Hagar Hagar is whose mother? Ishmael He sent them on her shoulders And then sent her off with the boy She went on her way And wandered in the desert of Beersheba When the water in the skin was gone She put the boy under one of the bushes Then she went off and sat down nearby about a bow shot away for she thought, I cannot watch the boy die. If you got saved in a place where you were not dry, if you got saved in a place where the sentence of death was not in your heart, I'm going to openly question your salvation. I'm doing it right now. People get born again. Not by taking bad men and making them good. They get born again when you take a dead man and make him live. That is born again. Born again is not simply window dressing on a yucky life. Born again is not simply attending church and trying to be a good person. None of those things are born again. Born again is when a dead man begins to live. So friends, when we found Jesus, we were dead in our sins or we didn't find him. This boy was in a desert and he was dead dead in his sin. And as she sat there nearby, she began to sob. Come on, mamas. It is okay to cry over the state of our children. We're in verse 17 here. God cr- heard the boy crying. Isn't that a good news? God heard the boy cry. This is not unlike God hearing or seeing the suffering of his children in Egypt and coming down to lift them up. God heard the The boy cried and the angel of God called the Hagar from heaven and said to her, there was a call from heaven. What is the matter, Hagar? Do not be afraid. God has heard the boy crying as he lies there. Lift the boy up. Come on now. Here in worship, did you lift up somebody who's dead in their sin? Here in worship, was your heart broken for somebody who has the sentence of death in their heart? Lift the boy up and take him by the hand, for I will make him into a great nation. Whose promise does that sound like? Sounds like the same promise God gave Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob. Then God opened her eyes, and she saw a well of water. What desert was she in? I think she found the same well that Abraham later called Beersheba. But it took God opening her eyes. Guys, the Arab world was broken up into 12 nations. Ishmael became 12 nations just like Isaac became 12 uh, sons who became Israel and have given the world salvation. Salvation is from the Jews, but God has always cared about all of the other Gentiles in the world. Even those who are most distinctly not Jewish. Those who are the most opposed to being Jewish. Because if you make much of your ministry among, let's just say the most Gentile of Gentiles in the world, like an Iranian Muslim, an Iraqi Muslim, a Syrian terrorist, maybe. And he gets born again. And he falls in love with the king of the Jews. And he says, guys, what y'all have always had clearly marked, what you've always had a tamarisk tree by, what you have always been blessed by, so long that you took it for granted and walked away from it, I found as if it was unmarked because God opened my eyes. Maybe it's time we both returned to the same well. That would kind of be like life from the dead. It would be a whole new world, would it not? See, I think this is what God is aiming for. The gospel went out from Jerusalem to the west, It went out from Jerusalem to the north, and went out from Jerusalem to the south. It did not get very far to the east. In fact, when you study it, the movements of missionaries to the east were almost always stopped by Satan or by God. There were no revivals recorded in history in places like China until the last hundred years. There were no revivals recorded in history in many places east of Jerusalem. And the few that there were Christians, they got so overrun by Islam that there are no traces of Christianity there today. But in the West, in Europe, we got all kind of Christianity. In the far West, the ultra West, America, we used to have all kind of Christianity. In South America, all kinds of Christianity. In Africa, there have been revivals going on there for hundreds of years. But in our time, the great revivals are in Northern Africa, Eastern Africa, India, and it is moving towards Jerusalem from the eastern side. What stands in its way are all of the descendants of Ishmael that have not seen the well of salvation because it was Jewish. Because it was stocked up. Because it was obscured by earth and envy. And you know what? We haven't made it very visible because we're scared of them. We're scared because they still cut people's heads off. They still live in a way that we consider barbaric. What changed our lives from barbarism to something more? If it wasn't the light of the gospel, I don't know what it was. They deserved to hear And in their hearing, the gospel will again approach Jerusalem from its eastern side. They will see the most Gentile of Gentile nations in the world calling on their God and worshiping the Messiah of the Jews. And it will arouse them to envy. I would love to see a Yom Kippur that is a real Yom Kippur. I would love to see, as Zechariah 13 says, a fountain opened in Israel cleansing Jacob from its sins. Maybe the way to think about it is as Paul put it in the, in the third chapter of 2 Corinthians. The gospel is veiled to the Jews. When they read Moses, it is veiled to this day. The God of this world has blinded them, he said. What will unblind them? What would it take? What is the most amazing, miraculous thing that could possibly happen? What if all of Hamas had a revival. Mm
1: -hmm.
0: What if Iran said, we don't want to blow you off the map, we want to send you donations because we owe you a great debt. Mm -hmm. What if Iraq said, we used to be the seat of Babylon, we are streaming to Jerusalem, grabbing Jews by the shoulder saying, show us the way to Mm be saved. What would it take to get their attention? There are so many things that I would like to teach you and it is so late. Let me say this. Seven beers and salvation is not so that you can get tanked up on Budweiser and have the courage to speak the word of salvation to a Muslim. Seven beers and salvation has everything to do with a covenant that marked a well that you have benefited from most of your lives. And there is a whole people group that are still wandering in a desert dying. And we need God to open their eyes. And they happen to be Jewish and Gentile. Maybe even the most ultra-Gentile, if you will. My heart is beating for these two people groups. And I saw them as enemies. And then I remembered the Lord prepares a table for me in the presence of my enemies. Come on now. That, That brings tears to my eyes. I realized that the Lord takes a former... Enemy and makes them family. He does that. He can cure a rift that goes back to 2000 B.C. You want to be a history maker? You want to be a world changer? You want to be somebody who has clearly marked the way of salvation? Friends, you need to get so full of the Holy Ghost that your life is not a fault. You need to get so full of the Holy Ghost that your life actually belongs to Him. Sunday, I'm going to speak to you about tabernacles, Sukkot. Tabernacles is when the world celebrates—not just Israel. The whole world celebrates when we used the tabernacle around in these tents of flesh, housing the power of God. But now, what was inside is outside and evident to all. And the whole world has come into it. Come on now, what a day that will be. Our Lord loves the world enough to purge evil out of it. And He will absolutely burn the unrighteous. But I dare not call myself righteous if it is not my ambition to let every unrighteous person know how I became righteous in them. Sunday will be a special message. I think I can show you something in the Word that you haven't seen. Did you learn anything tonight? Yes. That's all I can give you, friends. I can't stand up and reinvent the wheel, but I can give you the pearl that God gave me. And if you treasure it, it'll produce a treasure in your life you can share with others. Of course, if we sit on these things and never do anything with them, we will become as dead and as stagnant as that dead sea. It'll be so stocked up with earth that nobody will even see Jesus in it. We might even run off and buy an escalade to try to show people how holy we are. I'd like to strip away all of that trash and rely on a demonstration of the Spirit's power. Amen. Let us stand our feet on the note of a demonstration of the Spirit's power. I would like to ask you a question. We're going to close. It's three minutes till nine by nine. I will have closed the service. But I would like to ask you a question. What is there in your life that is a tamarisk tree? What is supernaturally green all year round? What marks and says this guy, this girl is a part of the God of the world to come? What says that you're different than every other natural human being on the planet? In other words, what is supernatural? Because the living God died to atone for your sin in the man Jesus. And when he atoned for your sin, he made a way for his divine presence to be in you. Not just a little bit, but for you to be being filled with his presence regularly. Then Peter, filled with the Spirit, Then Peter filled with the Spirit Then John filled with the Spirit To be being filled if you come from a charismatic Pentecostal background and you think because you spoke in tongues once you were filled with the Spirit, friends, you might have got an eyedropper, but I'm here to tell you there's a whole well out there. Yeah. If you have come from a denominational background that says, uh, I got all the Spirit I could ever have the moment I was born again, you are denying the clear record of the Scripture. Could we both repent? Could we both repent and say, Lord, whatever you are, how much ever of you there is, I want it all. And then stand back and see what he does. We're praying because the service is closed, but I will pick up on that subject Sunday If that interests you, this is the church for you. If that has no interest for you, there's a giant basketball stadium converted into something to look like a church. You'll be happy. But I believe that God is drafting people who want to unearth the wealth.